Jesus is risen. But the question for each of us is what difference has that made in my life? Thanks for spending part of your Easter weekend here with us at Brookwood. This morning we will reflect on these questions. Jesus asked two questions after emerging alive from a tomb that was located in a garden. And he encountered a woman there that he cared for deeply and he asked her two questions. So we'll reflect on these two questions that were asked of Mary Magdalene following his resurrection. And we'll consider how these questions apply to us as well. Who was this woman, Mary Magdalene? We've all heard of her, of course. She was from a village of Magdala on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. When I was in Israel last fall, they were beginning excavation. They had discovered this site and they were busy uncovering some archaeological finds. They found a tower because the word migdal in Hebrew refers to tower. And that's the home of this woman we call Mary Magdalene. She experienced the kindness and the power of Jesus personally. Though traditionally she's thought of as a prostitute, there is no biblical or historical evidence that indeed this woman was engaged in that immoral profession. So it's not likely true. She was, however, tormented by seven demons until Jesus cast them out of her. Luke chapter 8, verse 2. After that encounter, Mary traveled with Jesus and his disciples. And she helped care for their practical needs, which included financial, providing financial support along with several other women. Mary Magdalene witnessed Jesus' arrest and his trial and his crucifixion and also his death. She was there on Friday afternoon when Jesus' body was taken from the cross. And it was laid in a tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea. She stood by as the stone was rolled in front of the opening and it was sealed. She returned on Sunday before dawn. While it was still dark, she walked slowly toward this tomb. Stumbling in the darkness. But imagine how she felt inside. Her hope is shattered. Someone she loved is lost. She's filled with despair. She's despondent that first Easter morning. As she neared the tomb, though it was still very dim light, she got close enough to see that the stone was no longer in place and the opening to the tomb was cleared. Seeing that, she feared that robbers had entered the tomb and stolen Jesus' body, so she hurried to report the news to Peter and John. Afterwards, she returned again to the tomb, distressed, Confused, crying, overwhelmed with grief. And so we turn to John 20, verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and she looked in. Now Mary knew that Jesus said he would be raised from the dead after three days. 
But her shock over the loss of this man that she loved was greater than her belief in that promise. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She didn't recognize that these two were angels. They appeared as humans. Luke 16 and Luke, Mark 16 and Luke 24 say that. If she had recognized that these two were not men, but they were angels, she would have asked them where the body was located. Mary's concern, the focus of her overwrought thoughts, was in locating Jesus' corpse to, so that she could finish his final burial preparations. She wanted to properly treat his body before it was put permanently in the tomb. She apparently didn't know that Joseph of Arimathea and the Pharisee Nicodemus had already been given Jesus' body and that they had applied perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes to Jesus' body. And then they had wrapped him in long strips of linen before they laid him in that tomb. So what's she thinking? Perhaps she just thought that, that maybe some additional spices were necessary. Or maybe she just was confused and she was trying to come up with something to occupy her mind, to use her hands for. She was so overwhelmed with grief that she just wasn't thinking clearly. But let's consider the two questions asked of her by Jesus. Verse 14 is the first. She turned to leave. She saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Don't you wonder why? When you read that, did you wonder why not? Why didn't she recognize him? Well, perhaps the light was still so dim. Perhaps her eyes were blurry from tears so she couldn't see clearly. It's possible that Jesus' appearance was so different. His body, his face and body looked so different from the battered and the bruised, the torn and bleeding face and body of Jesus that she had seen when he was taken from the cross, when he was laid in the tomb, that she, she couldn't make the connection. It might be that she, like some others, were prevented from recognizing Jesus until he chose to reveal himself to her. Remember, there were two men who the same thing happened to. And they were on the way to where? Emmaus, Luke 24. But you know, it may be that she was so sure he was dead. That she was so certain of his demise that she could not recognize him alive. And then he asked the first question. Dear woman, why are you crying? Now this is the same question that the angels had just asked her, right? So Jesus asked, you see, not to receive an answer. 
but to cause her to reflect inwardly on her own feelings. Why was she distressed? What had she expected? Well, certainly she felt despair because her Messiah was dead. Perhaps like so many others, she thought he would remain on earth with his followers, that he would become the king of Israel. He would change the world by healing the sick, by driving out demons. He would overthrow the Romans, drive them out of the country and end their oppression. Perhaps he would also expose the hypocrisy of the Jewish religious leaders. And he would certainly have extended justice to the poor and the weak as he was already doing when she was watching him at work. Mary's feelings revealed her beliefs about Jesus. And so do yours. They also revealed her beliefs about herself, her life, her future. Jesus cares for you just as he did her. And he's asking you the same question that he asked Mary. Why are you crying? You say, well, I'm, I'm not crying. Well, maybe you are and you've suppressed it. Or perhaps it should be asked to you in a broader way. What are you feeling? What, what feeling stays with you? What's the current that's constantly there? You know what I'm talking about? What are you feeling? Hope? Sorrow? Fear? Joy, frustration, anger, or peace? What is that constant feeling that you have just below the surface? I agree. Your feelings, don't you get this? Your feelings reveal your beliefs. About your identity, who you are, are you valuable or unimportant and insignificant? They also reveal what you think about your state of being. Am I safe or am I sure to fall into a hole? Is my life going to end tragically or is God watching over me? You have beliefs about every one of these questions. You might not be able to articulate it. But they're in there. And they are controlling your life and your responses. Your beliefs involve your, your view of God. Your view of faith. As well as what role God and faith and Christ have in your life. Now here's the problem. You form these beliefs probably at a young age based on experiences, good or bad, that you had. And the beliefs are probably undetected. But they are dominating your life. You with me? They are controlling your responses. So what do you believe about yourself? Your identity, who you are. 
about your life? Is it valuable? Or are you insignificant? About God, does he care or is he cold and distant? See, your beliefs might not even be true. But they will control you. Ask Jesus whether your beliefs are true. You may first have to say, God, Jesus, show me what I believe. And then show me whether what I believe is even true. And then, Christ, will you replace my lies with your truth? He'll respond. Jesus' other question was, who are you looking for? It's found in the latter half of verse 15. She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. You see, Mary was still consumed with finding her dead leader instead of her living Lord. She so wanted to make sure that his remains were treated honorably that she spoke irrationally. If someone had told her where the corpse of Jesus was, this woman couldn't have carried that body by herself. Because of her preconception about what she was seeking, she didn't recognize the risen Savior standing right before her. Many of us don't recognize the real Savior. Because we have such a strong preconception of what we're looking for in a Savior. What we expect Him to be. We want what we want from Him. We want to specify what kind of Savior He is. We don't want Jesus to be who He is. The Lord who rules over our lives. Now we all desire a Savior who will forgive our sins. Who will answer our prayers. Who will provide our needs. Who will relieve our suffering. Who will grant us admission into heaven after we die. But we're not seeking a Savior. We're not looking for a Lord who will require surrender of our lives to Him. Who will direct us to deny ourselves, to obey His instructions, to follow His plan for our lives. What kind of Savior are you seeking? What kind of Lord are you looking for? And is your preconception preventing you from recognizing and perhaps receiving the real Jesus. Jesus says another word, Mary. He calls this woman by name. She turned to him and she cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher, but it's a form of rabbi that expresses devotion and honor and reverence. 
When Jesus called her name, he revealed his identity to her. She knew him. We come to Christ because he calls. That's how Mary recognized his identity. And you know what? It's how we do as well. Has Jesus called your name? I wish I could hear a response from every one of you individually. Has Jesus called your name? Has he shown you who he is? Verse 17, he said, don't cling to me. You see, Mary must have been so overjoyed. She likely fell to the ground and grabbed his ankles. You can understand that, can't you? Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers, look at the relationship, and tell them. I am ascending to the Father and your Father. To my God and your God. He's established, he's secured the relationship in his death and resurrection. But what did Mary think? She loved him. She liked having him around, didn't she? So she likely thought, okay, now he's alive so we can return to what we were doing before. I mean, her desire wasn't an evil desire, but, but she wanted to return to relationship with him where he, she could touch him and hear his voice and see him nearby, where she could help him. She didn't want to lose him. But Jesus would only be physically present for 40 more days, after which he would ascend. But he wouldn't leave Mary or the others alone. He would send them a better replacement than him in the flesh. Because the Holy Spirit would be given at Pentecost to fill every follower permanently. And that Spirit would guide them, would deepen their faith, would prove to them, convict them of truth, would strengthen them for the task that they'd been given to spread the good news. So Mary would soon learn that that her desires didn't control Jesus. That she was called to serve him. By surrendering herself to be led by his spirit that would be within her very shortly. And so are we. So Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Have you seen the Lord? Have you? Seeing the Lord means he's revealed himself to you. You've experienced his personhood. You've encountered his presence. That's what being born again is. Being born again is not praying a prayer, accepting some facts. It's experiencing the risen Savior in the person of the Holy Spirit. And you are made new. 
And if you've seen the Savior, if you've had that experience, if you've been born again, whose message are you sharing with your life? Yours or His? There's some questions on the bottom of your outline. And they're questions for you to ponder, but also to share in your family. Like Jesus, he said, what are you feeling? He said, why are you crying? But we can say, what are you feeling? Because that's the road to your beliefs. And your beliefs will be the controlling truths of your life, though they may not be true. You know, sometimes we parents will tell our kids, quit crying. Or we scold them to try to get them under control. And we should be like Jesus and say, why are you crying? What do you believe? What are you feeling? And then the next question. What do you want from a Savior? Is it your own desires that you're projecting? Or do you want to know Jesus as He truly is? And then this question, which is a key to life in the Spirit. What is Jesus saying to you? You know, He's speaking right now. And He has something to say. Personal. Individual. Unique. Are you listening? God is speaking. Are you hearing? Father, we thank you. You sent your son to die for our sins, but you sent your spirit to lead our lives in service of you. We thank you. Amen. Have a happy Easter, and I hope you find all the eggs. <laughs>